435 here on News Talk 1010. John Tory here with you on The Rush this afternoon. It's smart speaker time. And today we're lucky to be joined by Tim Powers, the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data, and Karen Stintz, former city councillor and TTC chair, who is now the president and CEO of Variety Village. And Tim, you'll forgive me for a minute, because if I don't do it at the beginning, I'll run out of time and not get a chance to do it at the end, because I haven't been on radio, I don't think, with Karen, maybe ever. But I will just say, uh, news reached me, as it reached many of you uh, listening to 1010 and otherwise, that Karen Stintz is going back into public life. This is one of the best things that I've ever heard. Um, you know, Karen and I actually Thanks, ran Tom. against I each other at one, one point in time. And that doesn't take away from the fact that I think that she's uh, would be a blessing. And I'll tell you one of the examples that tells you a lot about her and her character. And I think character is so important these days in politics that when she was asked about the person that she would face uh, on behalf of the Conservative Party, namely Marco Mendicino, who is also a very decent person, um, she said exactly that. You know, he's a decent person and he's likable and he's worked hard, but that I just think it's time for change. And she was talking, I think, more about partisan change. And that is the measure of the kind of politics we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, and it's why it's a blessing to have Karen Stintz going back into public life. So, Karen, I think you need a saliva test. But having said that, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm, I wish more people Thank like you. you would. And that includes you, Tim. When are you running? Oh, John, you know, I prefer the back rooms. Or just <laughs> yeah, I know. Gun. So did I at one time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're just oh, running for cover. Just running for cover. All right. When I was back in the day when I was a provincial politician, one of the things I proposed at the time was that you could have private uh, providers of health care uh, operate alongside the public hospitals and so on. And the, the main condition was, however, that you had to pay only with your OHIP card. I was treated as if I was suggesting people being burned at the stake and thrown off tall buildings and it was the worst heresy ever. But Premier Ford has actually uh, moved forward to allow some of this subject to the same condition. And now we have some doctors out today interviewed, interestingly enough, by the CBC. Uh, and they sort of said, look, I mean, other countries, pretty well all of them have some system operating alongside the public system where you pay with your health card uh, and it takes some pressure off the public system. Uh, is this an issue that is where we're having a bit of an evolution of thought and where people are going to be more accepting of it? I'm not talking about the politicians. I'm talking more about the public or the politicians. Tim, we'll start with you. I think the public wants to get better service, John. Uh, look, we've lived with this myth that uh, Tommy Douglas's national health care system is something that we can't change. It is who we are. Well, it may have been great when there were 10 million people in Canada, but we're approaching 40 million. We need better models. We need better delivery. And I think the greatest frustration most people have, be they in Ontario or Newfoundland and Labrador, where I'm from, uh, is they wait too long. So if private options give people the opportunity to get seen more quickly, have their diseases, their maladies dealt with, I think the public is way ahead of politicians on this one. The final point I make in John and Karen, you'll both remember this. Remember uh, the 2000 uh, national campaign when Stockwell Day, then the leader of what was the Canadian Alliance, put that little sign up. It was a terrible moment because he was being accused of having a hidden agenda that said no to tier. I think 24 years later, people don't care about tears uh, or the, the tears of their family they care about. They care about service. Karen, do you think that really is the bottom line? People just want to get their knee fixed or get their cataract taken off or whatever, and as long as they pay with their health care, they don't really care who does it as long as they're competent? 100%. And it's not like we don't already have private clinics. The Shoulder exactly. has been providing hernia operations and is renowned. Like People come from all over to, to have that service done at that clinic. 
And the doctors pointed out, the physicians pointed out that the hospitals aren't always the best place to have these procedures performed. And it takes away from what operating rooms should be doing. And so I think it is an evolution. And I I think we're able to have these kinds of conversations because the public is generally feeling not well served by the current system. And there is a general sense that just pouring more money into a system that is fundamentally not meeting the needs of the public is not the way to go, that we need to be thinking about more creative approaches to delivering care. And to your point, as long as you're paying with your OHIP card, it, does it does it matter if you're in a private clinic? I don't think it does. No, it's a good point you make too about people, you know, sort of being driven to to accept other kinds of solutions because the current system that we've been taught is like religion uh, is, is not working uh, so well. I just mentioned a funny story because I had my cataracts done at the Kensington uh, Clinic, and it, it is not for profit, mm-hmm. but it's private, and it was just a, an incredibly efficient uh, sort of experience and painless and so forth. For those who are worried about that, I had somebody the other day telling me they were worried about getting their cataracts off, but when I got diagnosed with them, the the doctor said to me, "Well, you know, John." And you've got cataracts on your eyes. And I said, I thought cataracts were, were only for old people. And she said, I got news for you. You're old. And that was a very, very discouraging and depressing moment. I didn't really care who took them off. I was worried just about being old. Uh, sticking with health for a minute, um, there's a story, a survey actually came out from the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and it talked about something I think we know is true, which is people splitting their pills in half, missing doses, not even fulfilling their prescriptions because um, the price of pharmaceuticals is so high. And and uh, I don't know if this comes as any surprise to you, Karen. And I talked earlier on about PharmaCare and said it's going to help with this. But I thought we should focus on marginalized people first instead of doing what we always do, which is saying we have to do everything for everybody right away when we, frankly, probably wouldn't do it properly and can't even afford it. But you may disagree with that. No, no, I, I completely agree with you. And that, you know, I don't, I don't think any Canadian wants to see someone go untreated because they can't afford their medication because that is not, you know, then they're... It, 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 it plays itself out in other ways, which was pointed out that they end up in the emergency room. Um, so, but we, you know, quite candidly, we don't need a national pharmacare program, and we can't afford one. What we need to do is take care of those who don't have access, and that's a very different proposition. Tim, uh, it's a subject of great debate, of course, up in Ottawa because uh, the NDP are leaning yep. on uh, the Liberals to fulfill a commitment made in that agreement they have. And, and uh, I think that is causing things to be proceeding with greater haste than might otherwise have been the case because of political pressure. But what do you think the proper course would be if there was no deal and they were just uh, moving to address a problem that many people, and there are millions of people that don't have uh, drug in- insurance or drug plans around the country? Yeah, yet yeah, 73% of people have some form of plan or not, according to all the uh, the information that's coming out around this deal. So why don't you deal with the 27% and see if you can help them? And that would seem to be in the wheelhouse of the New Democrats and the uh, uh, and the Liberals and all of this. But it is somewhat fascinating that the, the strategic leak the Liberals put out today, of course, or yesterday in the Star dealt with, birth control, and diabetes. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with demographics, John. Call me cynical on that Mm -hmm. one and the fact that, uh, as it relates to birth control, mostly used by women, uh, the liberals are way behind with women right now, particularly young women. So we'll see if their intent is policy or politically motivated. Uh, Who would know? 
do you think we have, uh, you know, Karen, I, I think we, we do have a bit of a habit uh, in the country and it's not confined to government business, does it sometimes too? I mean, I led a business and we made mistakes for sure. But government in particular seems, I think, because of political pressure to often move to do things. And it's not even with, with an agreement in place, just because they decide it's time or there's an election coming or, you know, whatever. And they just don't have the patience, it seems, to do it properly and make sure that when you do it, um, you know, it actually does make a positive difference and doesn't turn into a huge boondoggle, as we've heard talked about this week. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, to Tim's point, it, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't, it's not evident to me that there's a national clamor for birth control coverage for across the country. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was news that that's now a priority of the government. And it does, you do, you do begin to get cynical when these kinds of things get announced. And then, you know, following the announcement, it, the follow through does become problematic because you don't actually understand what problem you're trying to solve. And the last thing that this country can afford is another, you know, arrive can app mm. in, the, in, in the form of, you know, helping people access birth control. And so, you know, I think the government really doesn't need, this is not a burning platform for the government. And if, if they're doing it, it is purely for political reasons, not, not for pragmatic reasons. I'm just going to ask you both a short snapper. Literally, we've got one minute till we take a break, and then we'll come back. Ontario just letting the blue license plates, the ill-fated blue license plates, kind of disappear by attrition, I think, is the right approach. I can't think of what else they could have done. Karen? Yeah, no, I agree. And they, they disappear into the night anyway. Yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that's right. Nobody can even see them, so how would we know if they've disappeared? Tim, I mean, I think when you have a mistake or whatever you want to call it like that, it's best just to let it go away and not draw any more attention to it, and eventually they'll all be gone. Doug Ford seems to be very good at that, but isn't your Ontario motto on those license plates yours to discover? If you can't even find the license plate, how the hell can you discover it? Well, it's a good point. Actually, they, he had a new one on there, but they're building a province or something. I forget. They, they, I think part of the reason they changed the color was also to change the slogan to be something they like better. Anyway, it's going to go away, and we won't be talking about it anymore. Uh, we're with uh, Karen Stintz, the uh, former city councillor, TTC chair, and, and now president of Variety Village, and Tim Powers, the chairman of Summa Strategies. We'll be back to talk to them in just a moment about uh, Chatbots and Air Canada's chatbot in particular making a mistake and they had to pay. And about a, um, a Huntsville restaurant losing its liquor license after an unbelievable amount of service that was rendered. 4.45. John Torrey here with you. It's 4.50 and a half. And uh, the weather seems to be cooperating a bit and the roads seem to be improving a bit. And so that's all for the good, even though it was nice to actually see some snow falling, strange as that may sound to say in the city. I always used to say, I loved winter in the country, but not so much in the city, uh, you know, because in the country it's beautiful and you can engage in outdoor activities. I love to ski and various other things. Anyway, uh, we'll take guests for an answer with respect to the uh, weather. It's a smart speaker time, and we're lucky to have with us today Tim Powers, Chairman of Summa Strategies and Managing Director of Abacus Data, and Karen Stintz, who's a former city councillor, TTC chair, president and CEO of Variety Village, an aspiring federal uh, conservative candidate. So uh, that's a quite a long uh, resume we just uh, recited there. So uh, chatbots, we're all dealing with them now in, in many different ways. And I think businesses that are smart will use them as a way of interacting with their customers because it's efficient and, uh, and, and saves costs, frankly. But uh, you can get in trouble. And I don't know if this is a precedent that a lot of businesses should be worried about where Air Canada, their chatbot, gave a BC man the wrong information about, uh, without giving you the whole story, uh, he was trying to get a bereavement affair to attend a few Funeral, and it said the fair was one thing, and then when he tried to sort of take advantage of that, they gave him, you know, the ran around and the runaround rather, and the courts 
uh, said, you know, yes, you're wrong and the airline owed them money. Is that something that companies should be worried about as they move more and more and more to use chatbots and AI and automated answering, uh, you know, systems to interact with customers, Tim? Well, he wasted a ton of money here, John, because wasn't it under $1,000 yep. the settlement was in the end? Imagine the lawyer's hours. Yeah, uh, which was, <laughs> yeah no offense to lawyers, I am one, but you're right, good point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, one lawyer's hour would have paid for this. Just, for, but I mean, maybe they worried about, worried about the precedent, though, Tim. You know, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make, which is this is a precedent all companies should sit sit up and take notice of. You know, because they probably did spend a huge amount on lawyers' bills because they were trying to establish the the other precedent. In other words, not be held responsible for this. Well, but I think in the airline business, as I can recall, and having unfortunately utilized it before, as probably many of your listeners have. Uh, bereavement payment is pretty standard or bereavement rates are pretty standard. So from both a PR perspective and a uh, an, an actual economic perspective, the, ch- the chatbot costs them a whole ton of money. Maybe better just to have a human when it comes to bereavement or an email address answered by a human. It just seems like a, a brand cock up and a waste of money uh, that they should be a little bit more attuned to. I don't know about precedent, but uh, but Air Canada could have done better there, I think. You know, two points coming out of that, Karen, of interest. I mean, first of all, maybe there should be cases, even if we're not afraid of using this technology, uh, you know, frequently where you do involve a human on something like uh, bereavement. Uh, and the second point being that, you know, what damage did they do to their brand by going to court and having this story being talked about here on a Toronto radio station when, in fact, it was involving one individual in British Columbia or we might never have heard about it otherwise? If, if they had just said, you know what, thank you for bringing this to our attention, it's a quality control matter, we will fix it and refund you what you're owed, then it would have gone away, he would have felt good, and they actually would have caught a glitch in their system, and then maybe maybe done a little bit more work on their boss. And so, you know, this is back to where, you know, common sense did not prevail, and I don't know how the decision was made to, you know, how, how it got as far as it did, it didn't need to. But certainly a lesson for Air Canada, and to your point, for everyone else who's taking note, when, you're, when your system fails, you take accountability for it, whether it's your bot or your human or um, your website. Yeah, like, that's... It, it's your brand. So. That's exactly right. Uh, we've been talking today earlier on about this story of a Huntsville restaurant losing their liquor license. And this is not uncommon. People may not know. And it was pointed out earlier by one of the guests I had that a lot of the restaurants that lose their liquor license for failing to follow the rules actually put up some sign saying renovations happening back in a couple of weeks. And in fact, the reason they're closed is because they've lost their license for violating the law, often for serving underage people or whatever. Uh, in this case, uh, the restaurant that lost its license for uh, allegedly over-serving a patron who died in a crash half an hour after he left uh, the restaurant. And the uh, evidence showed, put in front of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission, who made this decision, that the person had been served 18 shots in four hours. Uh, the question I was asking earlier on, and it came with something that your friend Karen Gary, Jerry Agar asked earlier this morning, is, you know, should there be any kind of liability or consequence beyond what could be a civil lawsuit for the bartender as opposed to the restaurant itself? Because the bartender, one assumes, let's say there was one, we don't know that for sure either, but let's say there was one, you know, served 18 shots where you would have thought, not to make any light of this at all, that there would be some notice taken of an intoxication issue uh, after, you know, somewhere before 18. Yeah, 100%. I, like, I don't even know how anybody thought that was a good idea. And, you know, if that person had been known to the bartender, and again, there's a lot we don't know about this, but, you know, if you serve someone that much, you, sh- you have an obligation to make sure they don't get in a car. And number two, you know, there is a point which you can, like, legitimately cut off the client to say, sorry, we're done here. Good night. Go home. Call yeah. someone. 
Yeah, I, I would have thought that's actually, you know, one of the more difficult challenges, because I know when bartenders often do this, mm -hmm. they get pushback, of course, from customers who if they're, they, you know, they've reached that stage where the bartender would say something, they're also potentially going to be angry and react yeah. badly to that. But you're quite right. I mean, that's a human sort of response to say, don't you think, you know, can I call you a cab or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Tim, um, you know, it, it, this was a very tragic instance because the person yep. did lose their life. Uh, and do you think we're... We're, we're tough enough about this, and do you think that, uh, you know, we're reading about these consequences, which include just the loss of license by the by the restaurant owner, do you think that we're tough enough about this when it goes on? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you two quick, very perspectives. So I, uh, I'm part owner of a taproom and brewery here in Ottawa, so we are governed by AGCO. Anybody who works for us in that taproom or brewery has to uh, be governed and study and pass what you call SmartServe here in Ontario. And that SmartServe program pretty clearly prescribes uh, what you should do and how you should handle circumstances like that. Um, so, you know, and, and you know what the penalties are. AGCO, for good or for bad, and often I would prefer to say difficulty, um, are pretty clear. Uh, so th th there are some responsibilities that have to be uh, adhered to there. And you take that risk when you go into that business. I used to be a bouncer as well, John. Uh, now, I'm sure Kelsey said this <laughs> There's a concept. A oh, my God. Tim Powers, bouncer. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, 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 he's got something to fall back on. That's good. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, but... Point being, point being, I'm sure Kelsey didn't have a bouncer, uh, mm -hmm. bartender, and the servers. Let's not forget the servers here probably should have known better. And despite the discomfort of saying you shouldn't drive, I'm sure they would have preferred to have been in that circumstance now than dealing with yeah, this good point. terrible news about Colt Norm. 30 seconds each, it doesn't do justice to it. But uh, there's all these contracts coming up. And I hadn't realized how many were coming up until I read this article saying the pilots and the flight attendants and the, uh, the um, firefighters and police in Toronto and so on, all coming up. But it's happening across the country. It just so happens the timing is such. And the article sort of saying we're going to have big trouble in the year ahead because of what's happened with inflation and affordability and all these contracts coming at one up at once. Do you think it's going to be a sort of on a scale of one to 10, uh, 10 being bad, a bad year when it comes to labor and strikes, and that's going to be back upon us again, uh, Karen, in the coming year? Yeah, I do. I, I really do, because we've seen some very large settlements in the public and private sector. And so I think that's where the expectation is being set. Yeah, Tim, do you, do you agree with that? Uh, well, or, or bad year for the taxpayer if you look at your yeah. yeah. budget. Yeah. Yeah. That we don't want that across the country. No, that's true enough. Well, I hope not. But, you know, it, it's look, I mean, people have to get what they're going to try to get in collective bargaining and uh, employers are yep. going to try to, you know, so it's one. And I, I don't think it helps. This is, I'll, I'll make a comment. You won't get a chance to respond. It's not against any of you. I just think when they see uh, employers and executives getting huge bonuses and being yep. paid millions upon mm -hmm. millions of dollars, and then they say, sorry, we can't really afford to give you anything. It doesn't yeah. help. It doesn't yep. help at all. Anyway, thank you very much to you both, Tim Powers uh, from Summa Strategies and Karen Stintz. And Karen, good luck with your endeavors, much as I think they're a bit insane. Good luck. I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> Goodbye for now. Thanks, John. All right. It's uh, 4.59 here, and we're going to take a short break and hear the news. And after the news, we'll be back uh, to talk about the city budget and take your calls on what happened yesterday on News Talk 1010.